Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So we are finishing up, not this week, but next week, because then the week after that, we're in Advent already. Where has this year gone? Where has it gone? It's gone by so fast. So two weeks ago, we talked about uh, how the debt of sin is like a weight. We talked about how sin steals our breath away, but grace grants it back to us. We looked at the parable of the unjust servant. His large debt of 10,000 talents wasn't just... They didn't just restructure it and say, okay, I'm going to put you on an income-based repayment. So however much you make over the course of X amount of years, you can pay that back based on how much you make. No, the, the king forgave it outright. And then that man whose debt was forgiven goes out and found somebody who owed him 100 denarii, which is a lot less than 10,000 talents, a lot less, and throws him in jail because you can't repay him. And then his debt is, I guess you could say, it's unforgiven. They, the king finds out about it and, and casts him into prison. And then we talked about how unforgiveness destroys us, how it destroys us. So next week, we're going to put all of these puzzle pieces together. But today, we're going to look at the portion in Matthew 6, 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this might seem like an odd thing to pray, asking God to not lead us into temptation. But before we go any further, we need to say right off the bat that God does not tempt anyone. We have to be very clear about that. God does not tempt. St. James says, no, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. St. James goes on to say later that all good comes from God and that in God, who is the Father of lights, there is no shadow of change or turning. So think of creation. After God makes something, what does he say? God creates something on the first day, and then he says, this is good. He doesn't say, I could have done better. He says, no, this is good. And I don't know what he was thinking when he made mosquitoes or mice or things like that, but he called it good. So we see pretty clearly that God does not tempt. Goodness, all good things come from God, not evil. And we also need to say that experiencing a temptation is not sinful. Experiencing temptation is not sinful. But enticing someone to it is. I told a very funny story, and I don't know if this was a sin. Maybe somebody who's smarter out there can tell me. But I told you all a story a couple months ago how I used to work in a coffee shop. And I was a barista. And I was making a, a mocha, I think it was, for, for a lady who came in. And I asked her if she wanted whipped cream on it. And she said, no, I don't think I do. And I'm like, well, you're already having this mo delicious mocha with the chocolate and everything, and it's whole milk. You might as well just have some, some, a big bunch of whipped cream on the top. And she looked at me, and she said, you are the devil. <laughs> and then she said, please give me some whipped cream, which I gladly did. 
And it's not like we upcharged her for it. It was part of it. Right? So maybe that was sinful, and I had to repent later, and I laughed about it. But it's, it's, it's a silly example. But experiencing that isn't sinful, but being someone who is enticing others to, to fall is. So when we look at the story, some of the stories in Scripture, particularly Jesus in the wilderness, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. But Jesus isn't being tempted by God in the wilderness. The evil one is there. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus there for the purpose of him being tempted, but the actual temptation is done by another agent. So it's important that we begin here, right, that God does not tempt, because we do not want to attribute evil to God. God, by his very nature, cannot do evil, nor can God incite someone to do evil, nor will God tell someone to do evil. So number one, God is not the source of temptation. So if that's true, and it is, where does, this temp- where does temptation come from? Ourselves, the devil, both, neither? That's a very good question. And, and St. James says this in, in his epistle, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So notice where James places here the source of temptation. He says, lured and enticed by their own desire. So according to this passage, the temptation that we face, the temptation that we struggle with, the temptation that we indulge in comes from our own desires. Now, does this mean that in general, our desires are bad? No. Our desires are not bad. Our desires are good. God has given us our desires. The desire for delicious food is good. Gluttony is not good. It might feel good at the time, but afterwards you're sitting there saying, I should not have eaten that fourth slice of Domino's. I feel really bad right now. I know, maybe I'll eat some ice cream later and that'll help me feel better. I'm not saying that was me yesterday, but it may have been. The desire for intimacy is good and God-given, but turning it in directions other than where God has intended, it is not good. The desire to provide for your family is good. The desire to pursue riches at the expense of everything else is not good. So all the desires that we have aren't in and of themselves bad, but what is bad or sinful is where we channel those. I'm going to use an extreme example now because I used a funny one. I'm going to use an extreme one. So the other day, I saw a video on Facebook, of course, and I I think the person in there was a minister because I believe I saw this person somewhere else, and this person extolled the goodness of polyamorous relationships. And the justification that this person gave for polyamory was that Jesus is polyamorous because we're all in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and if Jesus is in a a personal relationship with each and every one of us, then that means Jesus is polyamorous, and since Jesus is polyamorous, then that means we can be polyamorous too. So human polyamorous relationships are good and holy. Brothers and sisters, this is nonsense. just in case you didn't know. This is the desire for something good, to share love with another human being that God has given, but it is taken in a direction that it 
that, that can never bring satisfaction. And that actually is giving birth to death, as St. James put it. And that's a, a reflection of the desire of that person's heart. In the writings of St. Augustine, we, all, we see this demonstrated too way, 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 way back in the day. He talks about how we are prone to love things that are good, but we also tend to try and be satisfied more than those things can, can satisfy us because ultimately our hearts are restless and can only be found in God. So number two, we are tempted by the desires of our own hearts. Now, we can't just leave it there. Sometimes it's not just a product of our hearts. We can also be acted upon or tempted by outside evil. We see this in the desert temptation of Jesus. He's led and the devil says, turn these stones into bread, jump from the temple, and the angels will bear you up, or worship me, and I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world, which is itself nonsense because the devil is the father of lies. Jesus resists, and the devil goes away until a more opportune time. So, I don't think, also, this is the only time this happens with Jesus, right? Jesus experiencing temptation. There's one part, I think, in the Gospels where they're coming to take him away, and he said, if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 legions of angels to come to come and free me. I think he says this on the cross. Forgive my memory. It's not in my notes. It just came to me now, where he's like, I don't have to be here. (laughs) I don't have to be here suffering, right? If I wanted to, and I kind of do, I would call, and in response, thousands upon thousands of angels would show up and, (laughs) and deliver me, but he doesn't. He undergoes the cross for our sake. One theologian I read while preparing for this sermon said that temptation in this passage also is what he calls ultimate apostasy. He says, the issue is not merely the absence of God or a lack of awareness of his presence, but perversion of the human desire for an absolute as it is captivated by hard and seductive parodies. Lead us not into temptation, the temptation to forget you, to think we have no need of you, to create subtle or grotesque parodies of you. He's saying that temptation creates a parody of something that we are deeply in search of, namely God himself. And we all know what parodies are. Temptation sets up desire or something transient, something passing away as absolute. And if we indulge, we, find we wind up worshiping that instead of God. Some biblical scholars also note here that the meaning of temptation could also mean a time of testing. In the Jewish mindset, there was a time of testing coming where God's people would all undergo hardship and those who endured would be the ones who experienced deliverance. We heard some of that in the gospel reading today about the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus giving signs that these things are coming. So Jesus could be asking in the prayer that we would pray ourselves and ask to be delivered from times of testing, but he himself was not immune from times of testing, even in the garden asking three times for the cup of suffering to be removed. But he drank it anyway for us. And when we go through times of testing and when we go through times of temptation, we know that Christ has drunk the cup of suffering for us. Now let's turn briefly to deliver us from evil, or some manuscripts also have the evil one, which some theologians say should be the proper translation here. He says, once we have acknowledged that there are times of testing we face, 
Then we move to the second part of the line, remembering that we are focusing on, on these things a line at a time, right? We, all of these lines, right, in this prayer, we're taking them bit by bit so we can kind of focus on what they're trying to say. But we have to remember that we're not, we're not just trying to isolate them. We have to isolate them to kind of explain them a little bit, but then they have to be reintegrated into the prayer as a whole. That's what we're kind of trying to do. So in this line, deliver us from evil or the evil one, the theologian named J.A. Packer, he says that there's two forms of evil we are praying to be delivered from. Internal evil, or active doing participation, or external, where passive experience. And so we talked a little bit about that a few minutes ago, about Jesus in the wilderness being acted on itself by an outside force. We don't like to talk about that, though, these days. There's a a denomination that's removed references to the devil in their baptismal liturgies. And they didn't do this because they didn't believe in the idea of of the devil, but they removed it because it doesn't sound attractive to people who don't often go to church. But I think that highlights something, that we are uncomfortable with references to an evil one because it makes us think of how far we progress as a society, how far we progress as a culture, We don't like those references. They make us uncomfortable. But Scripture doesn't do that, though. And so we have to wrestle with it. And we we have to remember when we're asking God to deliver us from evil, to keep us from temptation, we're asking him to keep us from the evil spiritual forces who have rebelled against God who wage war on us. And and St. Paul even says this. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He's speaking of wicked spiritual forces that Jesus in his crucifixion has defeated. We see that Jesus in his crucifixion and resurrection has defeated the powers of evil that lie behind not only the temptations we face, but the wicked power structures that perpetuate evil deeds and foster hatred and wicked hearts. Jesus has met the power of all evil in battle, and he has triumphed over them. It may not look like it to us sometimes that he's won. But we are engaged not necessarily in a battle for victory, but the unveiling of the victory that Jesus has already won. Right? So when the kingdom of God in Christ clashed with the kingdom of his world, the kingdom of God won. And so what we're basically doing as Christians is we're sort of like an occupying force where we have moved into the realm of darkness And we are bringing the light and the love of Christ into a world of darkness. But Christ has already won the victory for us. We are going out then and occupying towns and bridges and rivers and garrisons and forts and homes. And you can push this metaphor to the extreme, but that's what we're doing is we are occupying as we wait for his his return. Because he has triumphed theologian named Clement, he says, evil flies in the face of God. The answer has been given. It is the cross. It is God crucified upon all the evil in the world, but causing an immense power of resurrection to burst forth in the darkness. Pascha is the transfiguration taking place in the abyss. Pascha, it's another word for, for Easter transfiguration taking place in the abyss. Deliver us from evil means. Then he says, come Lord Jesus, you who have already come to conquer hell and death. This victory is present within the depths of the church. We receive its strength and its joy whenever we receive communion, which we're going to do 
uh, in a few moments in the service. Evil flies in the face of God, but the answer, the answer to the problem of evil, the answer to theodicy, if God is good, then why does this, 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 and this happen? God's answer is to enter into human suffering himself through Jesus Christ, to become human, to suffer not just for us, but also to suffer evil with us. And in doing so, he has broken that power of evil. And so when we are tempted, because Christ has triumphed over evil, because he has triumphed over the power of sin and death, when we are tempted, because he resisted, we can too. What does he say to to the disciples? When they go to the garden, he says, watch and pray that you do not enter into what? Temptation. Watch and pray. So when we talk about temptation, when we talk about evil being acted upon us by outside, either through other people, through spiritual forces, or the desires of our own hearts that are good, that are God-given, that we turn in directions that can't satisfy them, we then, as believers, we watch and we pray. We watch our own hearts and we pray. We watch the world around us and we pray. We prepare ourselves through prayer, through Christian discipline, through through whatever, through fasting, but we watch and we pray. Because as we watch and pray, we then learn how to turn our hearts away from things that'll pull them towards something evil, right? And then we have to replace, replace that with something else. We replace that with something else. Thank you for that. Amen, Hadley. I appreciate that. You are the best. You are the best. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, as you go later on today, as you in your own lives experience temptation and are confronted with evil, remember to watch and pray and look for the opportunities where you can, like the, the reading that we had from the book of Hebrews talks about looking for opportunities to stir ourselves up to love into good works. Here's a hint. The food bank would be a nice thing to do, <laughs> to stir yourself up for good works. So please uh, volunteer for that, because that's important work. And uh, especially around the holiday season, we, we should look for ways to not neglect those who, through maybe through systems of evil and oppression, have had a rough go of it. Anyway. So to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, his crucifixion, has has abolished evil, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We have deep roots here in our community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a traditionally grounded, biblically faithful church, come visit us. We just might be the church you're looking for. If you'd like to email me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Please be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, and check us out on Facebook at Zionstone UCC. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.